As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined by JJ Bull the Bullet. Hello, Joe Devine. Yes, welcoming, welcoming, welcoming also... Jonathan Dog McKenzie. Hi, John. Bienvenue. That's correct. It is and for you. And we're here today to discuss all things football. Oh, what have we got for you today? Well, we've got some football. That's correct, because that's what you're here for. God knows why. The North London Derby, we discussed that to begin things with. And the Manchester Derby, a different derby in a different place. Very exciting, that one. Yet another uh, loss for Liverpool against a resurgent Brighton. Are they resurgent? No, they're just surgent. Yeah, against a surgent Brighton. Well done to Brighton. Sergeant there. Brighton. Who's going to crawl out of the Premier League's bottom? We discuss that later. That's Steve Hackey wrote that down. Don't look at me like that. I'm just reading what the producer said. And of course, the rise of Napoli. We discuss them a little bit later on too. Now, speaking of Napoli, if you enjoy that little bit of the podcast, you may find yourself enjoying some fantastic pieces written largely by James Horncastle, The Athletic's Serie A correspondent. And you can find those by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. John McKenzie, what, what have you enjoyed most about The Athletic in the last week? I have been very much enjoying Owen Brown's stuff. Do you know Owen Brown? Who's Owen Brown? Owen Brown is the Celtic correspondent Ooh, for The Athletic. And yes. I always make sure that I keep up with his uh, column because he's writing about Ange Postacoglu, my great love. So Lovely. I've been keeping up with, with him. Okay, great stuff. And what about you, JJ Bull? Well, if you also want to read about Napoli, you could also watch a video about it. We did a video a while ago in October about what makes Napoli so good. That's James true. James Castle gave me lots of tips. Yeah. To make the video. Okay, well, there we go. That's it. You can watch our videos as well. So please go and do that and subscribe to The Athletic. But for now, well, we'll leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of... Crabs. Of crabs. Absolutely uh, And momentum. And momentum. Crabs and momentum. And violence. Sideways momentum. Crabs, momentum, violence. Okay. All of those things will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of crabs, momentum, and silence.
emails to begin, of course. But with Arsenal, where else would we begin on a week such as this when Arsenal extend their lead at the top of the Premier League table by eight points over uh, Manchester City? Although I think technically Newcastle are around there now as well, one, one extra game played. But um, let's begin with you, JJ Bull. Will Arsenal uh, win the title? They might. They might, yeah. They have a bit of a gap, but I think it's... They're not even halfway through. It's 19 games is halfway, isn't it? 19's halfway. Yeah, so they're not there yet. No, they're not. Uh, I think they look very good. They have all the momentum and confidence just now. That's what you need. It's very, very important. They look really organised. They're strong tactically, but that's only a small part of it. I think it's more the confidence they have and the belief and the keep winning games that should be tough. And I think they largely controlled this game and it went how they wanted it to. Yeah. Whereas in the past, you weren't maybe sure if they really had control, which is that they scored a goal or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I think they look excellent. I think City are having... The reason that they could probably win it now is that City are having one of those seasons where it's like they've achieved so much already. They're maybe just in a little bit of a transition. They've got Erling Holland, a bit of a change of system. Maybe there's some one of those and they keep dropping points that they shouldn't and they don't have the confidence, but that could all change. Like, What's the difference now? Eight points? Eight points. It's two defeats for Arsenal in a row. And City win two games and then they play each other and maybe it changes a little bit. Like, it yeah. happens so often. I've well, played I mean, so much one way I'm saying my time. Is they've got yeah. two games against City to come. If City were oh, to right. win both of those games, then Arsenal just need to lose one game elsewhere. It's just, it's yeah. just hard to see that happening at the moment. I mean, the, the interesting thing... I think I mean, one of the interesting things, you know, is that, of course, that they come back from the World Cup and they're still excellent as they were before. That sort of unusual mid-season break didn't have the impact that, that, that it might have done. But John, from a points perspective, let's have a look at the the table now. Arsenal, uh, first place, played 18 games, 47 points, and then obviously the gap uh, to 39 with Manchester City. Eight points ahead at this point in the season. It's, I mean, it can't have happened that many times that a gap like that has been overturned. Yeah, so in 18-19, I believe that Liverpool were seven points ahead of Manchester City and then ended up runners-up in that season. So yeah. it has happened but I don't it can and has happened <laughs> yes the big thing here I think is that this is about rates of change isn't it it's not about points total per se because it's you can say you know a few w- wins one way and it wins the other way and before we know it everything's narrowed up and that can happen uh, but it's so unlikely for those sorts of things to happen unless one of the teams really drops off so I tweeted out yesterday about how I said last week on the podcast that I think Manchester City are the best team in the Premier League mm. but on the basis of the way that Arsenal have been playing in the first half of the season they've very well deserved you know title title challenges and I think that I said on the back of their, the first half of the season they would very much be deserving of the Premier League and a, a lot of people said well you know we're in the Premier League in half a season. No, did they but, say it in that voice? Yeah, they did. If right, they used yeah. that special font on Twitter. The most annoying yeah. voice. Um, the point I was making is that if Arsenal continue at, at this level that they've, that they've played in the first half and Manchester City improve a lot, then Arsenal could still win the league just continuing to be as consistent as mm. they've been because an eight-point gap is, is, is a massive one to overcome. If, if Arsenal managed to draw one of those games against Manchester City, then uh, you know it really impacts their ability to to start to start um, narrowing that gap. And yeah. the other thing to say is that, like we talk about Arsenal playing Man City, playing Manchester United, the issue with Man City this season has been that they haven't been getting points in all of their games against weaker opponents, and mm. and they're the ones who look more flaky in that respect than I would say Arsenal and Manchester United for that matter. Yeah, I can see a real like weird similarities between how Arsenal are are doing this now to how Leicester won the league. 
And it's, I mean, they've got an injury to Jesus, which is the only real injury they've had to deal with as far as I can think of, right, so far. And uh, that could be the real thing. Like in previous seasons, they've had, like, I think Odegaard's been missing and Party's been missing and all these sort of people that really help that team work. They've avoided that so far. So everything they want to do is working. They've also, f- like, fostered this... Um, you know the the steps they've tried to take, or Arteta's tried to take from that um, Amazon documentary. We're trying to like mm. get the crowd closer to the players. That's definitely helped. So now, like the stadium, just seems more alive. When I used to go to the Emirates quite a lot when I first moved down to London, it was always really quiet, and it seems a lot louder now. Uh-huh. Um, and the fans just seem more up and at it, up and at them. But what you also get is that. Um, it's like a siege mentality thing, that thing that Alex Ferguson always wanted. And there's always people talking on Twitter, I keep seeing, or just just talking about how Arsenal, like, no one expects them to win. Like, everyone's mm. against them, everyone's against them. Like, like, there's no conspiracy against Arsenal. Yet there's this thing where, like, they shouldn't... I don't think many people predicted they would win the league this season, nor would they be in this position already. They've also got the two teams who should be at the top, Liverpool and Man City, in my opinion, who are nowhere near their best. City, not that far off, but you know they've they dropped to points that they maybe shouldn't do. Losing to Man United is a big one, um, and then Arsenal are the best of the rest by far, and they deserve to be ahead because they're playing really well. They're really cohesive. They've, they're managing to avoid injury problems, and it's a tight unit that are working really well. And all those things together are, mm. tend to be what you need. They're very hard to get all those things at once, and they've got that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, the siege mentality thing? Because often you see uh, coaches try to implement that even when it's not it doesn't relate to reality i think yeah. what the, i think the truth is that probably uh, uh maybe not a majority but a larger number of neutral fans around the country would prefer arsenal to win the league this season than man city or or liverpool yeah. with the exception of your tottenham fans i think everyone's sort of pleasantly pleased that that might be the case whereas you can imagine in uh, London, Colney, Arteta going, they're all against us. We've got to, we've got to stick together. <laughs> Good example of what you were talking about, though. Gabriel Jesus being injured. We talked about this during the World Cup, and he's been he'd been such a talisman for uh, for Arsenal in the first half of the season. Him and Zinchenko seeming to be those um, emblematic of of winners arriving and and you know showing the team how to do it. It seemed as though there was going to be a big problem, and it hasn't been really. I mean, Eddie Nketiah, not like the best player in the world, but was pretty good in this in this game against Spurs. He played very well. As, he did exactly what a centre-forward is supposed to do, I suppose. And whilst um, he didn't get a goal, he did create a couple of opportunities. They no longer look like the sort of team that definitely require a January signing, John. Yeah, and I think that's a real testament to the system itself, right? We've talked about the system a lot, and it's easy when you have a season like Arsenal have had this season, and they've brought in players like Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus to be entirely in that mindset right where yeah. oh these are the players who've made them better and you know there's a there's an extent to which that's obviously true Gabriel Jesus is a really really elite striker and plays in a really unique way Zinchenko gives them the ability to have a, a, f- a fullback who can invert and that, you know that's it's that sort of flexibility we talked about this all season long that's what's made Arsenal so dangerous but it is worth saying that you know this system Arsenal have improved in this system it's taken them a long time to get this good we spent a lot of I spent a lot of time doubting whether or not Arteta could achieve that. And then he's he's gone and done it. And I think it's worth recognising that the system does bring out the best in players. So even yeah. players like Gabriel Martinelli, last season people saying, oh, is there weaknesses in his game? This season people are really liking him. Um, and I think that, again, that's that all of this... All of these kind of things, when it's happening with a lot of players, it's probably a system thing rather yeah. than just individuals getting getting better as well. And I think we're seeing that with, with Eddie and Ketia. Like, the, the system is there. Everyone knows what to do. He knows his role. And it makes everything so much easier when you're, you're playing in that kind of setup. Yeah, for also, sure. Also, Jesus, um, the striker, 
hasn't scored a goal for Arsenal since uh, 10th, no wait, uh, what was that month? The 1st of October? Is that the 10th month? That's the 10th month. There we go, it's thank you. Down. So he, that's the last time he scored for Arsenal, it was against yeah. Spurs actually, and then since then he hasn't scored any goals. Yeah, then okay. he got injured obviously, so he's missing. And uh, in Ketia, I think Thierry Henry uh, spoke about him in the recent game, uh, and I, I agree with what Henry says in that Nketiah looks like a really good squad player and you, like, you can see he's got attributes there that he could be, go and become a, a decent striker for Arsenal but mm. I, don't, I haven't seen enough of Nketiah in games I've seen to him so far to think that he'd be the real top level that they'd need no, but he's a really sure. good squad player yet he's doing things in different games now and his, his scoring record is really good at the moment yeah. so he's getting chances and finishing them but he's doing a lot of things really well for that team that suit how Arteta wants that forward yeah. to work it works quite good. well to have an unselfish uh, striker in that system. And I, I would say the thing I like about it, watching him, is like you say, while he might not be uh, at, the, at the moment at the very top level of the game, it's lovely to see a young, uh, younger player playing the nine role so well. Often, like particularly with Nketiah's build as well, you would associate a player his age, his build, with someone who is maybe more comfortable in the wide areas where... They're better with the ball at their feet. They don't understand the game necessarily to the extent that they're required to to play in the nine role. Cut takes a bit more experience, and then maybe they develop towards that over time. But here's Enketia, relatively young young player, um, with a you know a, a, a different build or profile to Vout Veghorst, good example of a, of a you know a classic nine going to arrive at Manchester United soon. It's really nice to see a young player doing those things where you don't see it that often. Yeah, and he is doing a lot of the things that we talk about. Gabriel Jesus being good at, which are maybe a little bit more unusual, so he can drop in and help out. He's been, I think, he's been really good in the in the hold up side of the game because that's going to be the area that you're probably going to worry about mm. with someone like Enketia because, as you've said, he's not he's not a strapping lad by any means, and um, it's really important for him to be able to drop in and win balls with with centre backs right up behind him, yeah. uh, making it hard to do that. And he's he's been doing that well. He's finding space nicely in the box. He is being a box presence. There was that chance in the game yesterday when um, when Xhaka clipped the ball through, and he was just perfectly in space. Didn't get the finish off. Mm. Took took maybe not the best touch, but like he's there. And you know you, that as we always say. Being a striker is a lot about being in the right position sure. at the right time. You've got to show up. But that make, what gets you to the next level? So we say that he's not quite there yet. Like, what is it that gets him there? Scoring the goal. Well, I think it's, well, it's, it, you can strip it down more than that. It's decision making mm. and like clinicality and being a killer. You always have people that like, talk about how you need to be ruthless and not be a nice guy. You need to be someone mm. who is happy to go in and like just leave it about, uh, annoy defenders, be really frustrating either by being so technically good. And it's just that, that thing, that first touch he takes, if he'd taken it down straight in front of him, he'd have the option of hitting either side of the goalkeeper, much more likelihood of scoring, mm. but he doesn't. And he, this is what, I mean, how does, is that something he improves over time? He's dead young, isn't he? How old is Nketiah? He's 23. 23, He's the same yeah. age as Darwin Nunez. He has then got about three, four years to develop and, and go up there. But if he doesn't take those chances and start to prove that he does that sort of mm. thing, but then he is scoring other goals. So it's really hard to tell like, what level, what his ceiling is. I think, he, I think he had two and a half chances in this game. A top, top level striker scores one of them on, on most of the time. But the, the point that John made before about the reason for Arsenal's success being related to the system. Yeah. sort of, And also, when you've got a player like Martin Odegaard behind you, who's performing as he is this season, you don't really need to score. You just need to hold the ball up and make sure you get out of the way. And you put another two and a half years into Nketiah, and you might have a top-level striker yeah. without having spent £50 million on someone. For sure. And he understands the club and the way they want to play, and it works much better for everyone. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, their attack. The second half of this game, we'll come to talk about the game a little bit more when, when we speak about Spurs, but the second half of the game, John, uh, was a little bit more about Arsenal's defence, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I can tell you actually. Uh, handily, Steve Hankey has popped this in the uh, the podcast plan that Arsenal have the second most clean sheets in the Premier League this season. Uh, nine. First is uh, Newcastle with eleven. Yeah, the the general tenor of Arsenal games this season has been that Arsenal come out quite aggressively in the first half, uh, and they press high as well to to sort of match that as well. And there's I, we've talked a lot about how in the first thirty minutes they're they're scoring more than they're conceding, and mm. that's a pretty good talk about it more recipe for don't for leave success. it out. Yes, um, and this game followed that 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 sort of timeline, right? They came out, they were aggressive in the first half, they went two no up very much deserved and then in the second half it became more about managing the game but they did allow a lot of chances I think to Spurs I think in, in the I, I've only seen a couple of uh, XG models on this one but um, I think most of them had Arsenal generating more expected goals now we need to talk about game state because Arsenal were in a position where they were two goals up um, at half time and they could afford to to drop off the the intensity especially in the higher areas and yeah. allow Spurs to, to come forward and Spurs as we know are generally more intense in the second half of games as well. And just to clarify, by game state, you mean the state of the game, i.e. Arsenal are 2-0 up, and mm-hmm. therefore you would expect Spurs to need to attack more aggressively than they do at 0-0. Yeah, and I think with a two-goal buffer as well, Arsenal might be happier being a little bit more passive because yeah. you know they, they've, they've got that two-goal cushion to, to play with. They've also got games coming up. I mean, you know, it's, it's cluttered until the end of the season, isn't it? So if you are 2-0 up in a game which uh, takes a lot of intensity, if you can bring that intensity mm. down and relax your players a little bit, then you would, wouldn't you? I think so, yeah. But I, I guess to come back to the game state thing, you can rack up a load of expected goals at a 2-0 game state when you're when you're when you're 2-0 up mm. um and it, that looks slightly different to racking up you know a load of xg if you're 0-0 right um, sure so it's what it's worth saying that yeah okay fine well let's talk about spurs now because i think it's fair to say uh, jj that this game says a lot about arsenal but it probably says more about spurs at the moment why, why do you think that is well, I don't know if we learned that much about Spurs from this game other than what we already knew mm. is that they struggled to create because they rely an awful lot on wing-backs being part of the forward line and then everyone else is meant to defend in a certain way. And I think if you don't get results and you're playing with a very demanding manager like Antonio Conte with a very high... like He wants a lot of high-intense runs. He wants you to do a lot of off-the-ball work in the hope that that then grinds out a result and you can get forward from that. But you need really good wing-backs. Like they want to sign people like uh, Pedro Poro, it sounds like. like He's going to be so good, that guy. Get him in now, it's great signing if they can get him. Or Denzel Dumfries, that make a huge difference because they'd get another high-quality right wing-back. So they've got Matt Doherty, he's fine. And then like Arsenal were able to play the, their exact normal system, but then just drop Saka back into a wing-back role when they need to, to mm-hmm. have the five to cover them. So then that negates what Spurs want to do going forward. Human Son has not been the same player this season. Kane is having a quietly amazing season, scoring loads of goals. Because Kuzovsky's back, so that's where most of their, their creativity comes from. Yeah. But if you can lock him down, and they seem to, uh, there's occasional moments when he'll make things happen because he's so good. So also, it's that it's, he's got the you know the issue with being a left-footed player on the right-hand side that when he wants to play those crosses in, it's quite easy. It's interesting to, to watch Arsenal defending him, trying to show him down the line. I think you can you can definitely get your... So what teams will do in the week before a game match is they'll have one day they'll... they'll arrange a match between their first team and either the second 11 or the youth team who are set up exactly as the opposition will and mm. you know how Spurs play. Yeah, There's very little variation in how they play. It just depends on how well the individuals do. But the hope for Conte is that it's defensively solid and it gives them a threat on the counter. But you see Arsenal's defensive line was a little bit deeper in this game just to stop 
those team the players who are really fast getting behind us did in the game that they won three one I think it was mm. early in the season. And I think what you see with Spurs is that players just aren't responding as much to what it is they they have to do. Like when you look at Arsenal, cohesive, they're all all aligned. And what they're doing is quite fun and it's working. So they're playing like good football, really high tempo, one-touch passes, and it's really nice, lots of movement. Spurs don't really do that. It's all very predictable and goes through the certain ways, but does work with good players. Like, it's proven. Conte knows how to win league titles. He's done it before. The key is the good players, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. like, we, we had this conversation last night, John, with Conte. We've seen him in the Premier League before, as JJ says. He's won it before. He's won it with arguably better squads. I mean, is this is this Conte? Does he need the players to be of a certain degree in order for his uh, approach to be effective? I think that it's. I mean, it's partly that, but I also think that a lot of it comes down to the league, and it comes down to what we're talking about in terms of pressing. So we talked about how when Arsenal came out in the first half, they were pressing really high aggressively, and it just it means that you can really stop Spurs from getting the ball into those areas, namely Kulusevski, where they're getting a huge amount of really like incisive progression if you can stop them doing that then Spurs don't have anything so they generated very little in the first half they were kick I mean the, the second goal comes from a, uh, a kick from the goalkeeper I think which Harry Kane challenges for Arsenal win and then the ball comes back and and Arsenal obviously it's a really nice goal from Erdogan but it's from basically Arsenal being able to make sure that Spurs can only get the ball into those advanced areas in really inefficient ways and then they they capitalise on that. In the second half, Arsenal's press drops off a little bit and then suddenly Spurs are able to get the ball in much more efficient and, and effective ways to Kulisevsky yeah. and that's when the when the problems start start emerging and I think flip, flipping that on its head, I think the issue that Spurs have is that they, they're similar to Arsenal in that they've, or the way that Arsenal played in this game in that they have a really good aggressive high press at times or they have a low block and they don't really have much in between. And I think the problem is, is that regardless of whether or not it's worked in the past for, for Conte, being able to sit in a low block and then hit in the counter versus having periods where you can press high and aggressively and win the ball back. The issue for me is more that he needs to have some kind of middle ground where where the the game isn't just simply losing control or he's not losing control of the game. So a I mid think, block, may I suggest? Yeah, yeah, a mid a mid block is I think is, is the way to, to go here. And I, there's certain teams this year, like Fulham, for example, a great example of a team who are able to mid block really well, and it allows them to control the games yeah. enough for them to get upside when they need it, and then to to not lose control when they when they don't. And Let me tell you, Fulham have mid blocked their way to sixth place. Yeah, did you know that they're in sixth? They're right really now. good to watch as yeah. well. They're playing nice football. Well, we'll come to talk about that. Um, actually we won't we'll talk about that another time yeah. carry on yeah I was just going to say with Conte then it feels to me like because in the Premier League the out of possession stuff is so good for the opposition yeah. um, you really have to be able to control games against everyone even the teams at the bottom are able to um, control games and so we've seen Spurs move from this sort of situation where they want to be low block and, and counter but then teams are able to actually stop them from scoring in those in those ways and so it's only when Spurs are coming out in the second half when they're down goals then sort of really going aggressive that they're able to turn things around so I think with with Conte I think maybe his style of play doesn't quite have so much upside in one the modern game but two maybe the Premier League well I think it's not even just getting like better players it obviously is but it's getting the right players to play the way you want to or the right characters and Conte always seems frustrated he seems to realize that the ceiling is about fourth or fifth for what he's got unless they invest heavily and I can imagine it's very frustrating being a Spurs fan continually knowing that you're just never going to be able to compete with everyone else around you but you sort of are and then you watch teams like Newcastle fly up above obviously they have a lot more funding in the background going on and then 
if you look at again comparing the, the two clubs, Arsenal and Spurs, like Arsenal waited with Arteta, were patient, and the club are aligned. So, what um, Arteta wants to do is in line with what Edu is doing. They didn't bother spending more on Mudrik because it didn't align with what the vision was. That's exactly what they do. Spurs don't have that seem to have that again the cohesion between the management and what the actual club wants to do, and mm. you can sort of see it um, play out in the pitch. Um, Fans very unhappy at the moment. Yeah, they would. They would because you're always stuck, and it's just like if you're a supporter and you like put a lot of what your identity is on who you support, and that's what your weekends are spent doing and your weeknights watching this team, and they never go anywhere. It's just pointless. The point of life. Mm. Indeed, what is <laughs> you the just point sort of, of trip life? along doing nothing? You're never going to achieve anything. It's all right. And that, the thing I'm going to finish off with, but you look at Arsenal versus Spurs, is that Arteta that will work with Arteta. Spurs sort of had that with Pochettino. Mm. They had that, and then it didn't work anymore for Pochettino. And then they got rid, and now they're just sort of stuck. What was that list of things you just said? Tripping along, not really doing anything. Yeah. What were the other ones? No, not not going to achieve anything. Yeah. That's you, listener. <laughs> That's you. What he's just said. Think about it. Think about your life. Yeah. But if you it's start doing well. it today, you can achieve it all. Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to John and JJ's business school. <laughs> this is one of the chapters. This is, yeah. That's this is right. You if you start now, you will have started. Don't start later. Start yeah. now. Unit, I think start tomorrow. Six. It's no, fine. No, start now. Uh, do, you know, do you know, I had a very interesting experience the other day. I uh, bought a, uh, I got a delivery, a grocery delivery. You know, one of the quick ones. One of the ones that comes in 30 mins or so, Yeah. Listen, people, if you live in the countryside or somewhere where this service isn't available, in major cities like London, you can order <laughs> someone to collect things for you from a small convenience store, uh, and they arrives in 30 minutes. And I was I had a dinner, and I was like, hmm, I want an ice cream. I want an ice cream. So I did that. I got myself an ice cream, along with some other things, yeah, you know, to make it seem like it wasn't just the ice cream. Really, I only really wanted the ice cream. But I got some other things like shower gel. And you know, for dishwasher the, for the ice capsules. cream to go with the ice cream. No, no, no. Yeah. Just to make it seem like the delivery driver wouldn't think I was just getting ice cream. Ah, you're trying to trick him. I'm trying to trick him. He goes, "Oh, this guy wants ice cream and to clean his home. You know, he must be a normal person." The ice when cream you turn, treat for the when clean. you turned up, you were just completely naked and like, "Oh my, my shower gel, my is just shower what I needed." Here. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, I I got the you know you normally eat something or you drink something or you smoke something or you do something what you don't want to do, and afterwards after you've done it, you go. Oh, I shouldn't have done that, you know. Or you think, oh, I've got, to, I've got to change my life tomorrow. I've got to clean my house. I had that feeling between ordering it and it arriving. I didn't even <laughs> get to eat it. Before I didn't eat it, didn't eat it. Still in my freezer, you know. I had the feeling. I never had that before. Before I've even enjoyed it. I have few doubts that you will find time to eat that oh, ice cream. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to eat it later. I've been thinking about it all day. Did you but, use uh, the shower gel? Uh, I did use the shower gel. Did you eat yeah. the shower gel? Yeah. Did I eat the shower gel? I did, yeah. yeah. I, I did. just rubbed the ice cream on your yeah. mouth. It explains the foaming at the mouth. Speaking of foaming at the mouth, um, is it time to have a conversation about Hugh Collarese? <laughs> Does that work? Sure. No, that doesn't work. Just to be clear, that was a completely incidental uh, segue and not related at all to Hugo Lloris's inability to make that safe. Yeah, I mean, Hugo... Uris is making lots of mistakes nowadays. And yeah. It's hurting Spurs. It's hurting them. Um, I'm not a goalkeeper expert. No. But I know that what he did yesterday probably didn't help them. Yeah. So probably yeah. bad. Yeah. Probably yeah. bad. And uh, again, like. He's been off the boil, on and off the boil, let's be fair to him. He may, occasionally, you know, well, I think it's half the time he has very good performances. And you, you see glimpses of the, of the goalkeeper that he was for about 50% of the time. The other half just seems like uh, he's completely. Lo- I mean, he's quite old now, isn't he? He's captain of France. He's just 
reach the World Cup final. Absolutely, yeah, I mean, look, absolutely. But, but it, it reminds me of, I mean, he's like club captain, really important, obviously, in the dressing room and plays to a very high standard, always has done, was at one point one of the best goalkeepers in Europe, if not the world, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then that Aberdeen, Joe Lewis, was very, very good. Mm. He was uh, probably the best goalkeeper in the league for a long time at Aberdeen. I love how there's always an Aberdeen Well, this is, I think thing. it's, I think you learn a lot about football from watching Aberdeen. really shit teams. Right, yeah. Like, often. Okay. And, because uh, it's such a, so, such a low level, you can really see the difference between someone who is all right and someone who is good. And uh, Lewis was genuinely good, then started making little errors. You forgive him because he's been so good. He was club captain as well. Yeah. And then after about another... Was he a World Cup winner? No, he was not. No, no. no. Okay. But the equivalent is like beating Rangers once. Right. And so then uh, he started making more mistakes, and then just replaced him. And it's much safer now. It's just much better. Yeah. It's sad, even though, though I like you, Joe Lewis. When you have to take them to the sacrificial, you know. Yeah. Area. It's just one time too many, and then the pyre. How many more times has Lloris got to make the errors? How long until Lloris goes to the pyre? Thirty-six years old now. Yes, I. I mean the thing with. Reese has been he's always been a good shot stopper right one of the best in the world and there's there have been deficiencies to the rest of his game which I think have been okay to deal with as long as you're in a situation where you're getting that upside from shot stopping and at the moment you're not getting that upside from shot stopping as much I we're certainly getting more handling errors etc and so you know it comes a point where you kind of think bring in a a different keeper and you're going to solve a lot of problems here yeah okay well speaking of handling errors Let's have a break. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, host of Handbrake Off, the Athletics' dedicated Arsenal podcast. Now, after yesterday's rather enjoyable afternoon at them over the road, I'd imagine Arsenal fans aren't going to want to miss what me and the crew have got to say. We're on every Monday and Thursday with the selection of Amy Lawrence, Adrian Clark, Art de Roche and James McNicholas. And a brand new episode of Handbrake Off should be in your podcast feeds now. Just search for Handbrake Off on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Ah, oh, yes, welcome back. Lovely break. Another huge derby, a derby, a derby, that happened over the weekend, of course, uh, Manchester United, Manchester City. Can you guess? It was the Manchester derby. Yes, very exciting. Now, two teams were involved in this game, JJ Bull. Let's talk about them in order. Manchester United have won nine games in a row. Are they legit title challengers? One point behind Man City now? Same number of games played? Well, they might be. They're not too far off it. (laughs) Anything can happen with a couple of wins. I don't know. They're all right. They're winning those games in a row. That helps. Mm. Um, They're starting to get a bit of uh, momentum going between them as well. Marcus Rashford's playing very well. 
They look quite teamy, don't they, in the way that we were just talking about Arsenal yeah. being, being teamy. I think what, what you can see is that the players um, believe that what Ten Hag wants them to do is the correct thing yeah. and they buy into it. And uh, he's raised levels of players and dropped the ones who were awful. Yeah. It's so like Maguire's out, gone. Yeah. Luke Shaw's uh, playing at centre back. Well, Maguire was out uh, for, uh, after a slight injury, a slight illness when Luke Shaw first played at centre back. I don't know what the situation is now, but Luke Shaw did start at centre back again with Maguire on the bench in this game. Yeah, he's decent enough. Like it, yeah. it's a, it's difficult squad management because you have the he was is he captain of England? No, it's Harry Kane, isn't it? He's captain of Man United. It's really difficult to manage. I thought that. you were talking about Luke Shaw. No, you mean Harry Maguire. Maguire. It's very difficult to manage that uh, That's right. situation. He's the captain. You don't want to upset people and not and like damage an asset that you have that you might want to use. You can't. St- starting a fullback ahead of you at centre back is quite damaging for but a club Shaw captain. Can centre play back. that. Like he can play that position. He's, sure, he's decent at it. He's just a good football. He's a good footballer. And yeah. it's I mean, you got Varane next to you, kind of walking you through a game. I think, like tactically, uh, United are way better than ever they were. Yeah. They relied a lot on like the Solskjaer years and, and going on was always playing on the counter, sitting back and hitting, which has worked in the past against Man City and Liverpool. Those sorts of teams, it's worked. Yeah, uh, this one here, I think absolute like plan from start to finish and what would happen this is what we do if this well, happens this is what we do I was going to ask you I mean Man City looked quite bad in this game yeah. was it because they were poor or, or you know do you think it was more to do with the fact that Man United made them look bad it's a little of column A and a little of column B yeah. uh, Man United lined up with this it's a 4-2-3-1 but the first line is like a 4 with one slightly deeper and so they're trying to be quite narrow and compact and behind that first line of 4 I, th- I think it's man to man or a bit of mix, isn't it? Behind that, so Fred, Fred on uh, De Bruyne was a was a quite an enjoyable element of that game. Well, it's I mean it'll change in different fa- different phases of the play and different bits of the pitch. But the first line when City are building, the whole idea is to stop them playing into the players who can control the game, like mm. Rodri, De Bruyne, Silva, Foden. They just hardly got a touch. You look at touch maps. Um, Holland's touch map is basically in the center circle because he kept he started dropping deep trying to get on the ball to and he touches. was kick off. <laughs> Yeah, and it's and then it's to do with the way Man United played. Like, they're not everyone's involved actively. They're not. You don't see them tackling or making interceptions. But just by being in the right position at the right time, the spacing's perfect. It forces City to make passes they don't want to to make, which slows yeah. down the tempo. And then what you saw in the second half, I think, from City was the definitely increase the, the tempo and stop taking so many touches on the ball. So that's how you. I think that's how you change it and, and really get into the game. I think that maybe they started having the fullbacks play slightly narrower as well and move the wingers out. Mm-hmm. S- small tactical things like that. It's a little bit of... There's, there's two sides to it because this tempo was much faster and that's what they needed to do. But to be able to do that, you have to have clear passing lanes free and players in space to be able to do that. Mm. And it's... A, 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 they started a bit slow. They're in a little bit of a, a dip at the moment, City. They're not playing with the same speed and energy and aggression that they normally do, but I think that'll come back. As they, I think they'll finish strong. Yeah. Yeah, you saw the, that. Um, so it's a little bit of Man United did play in a certain way to make them play badly, but City didn't help themselves. Yeah, the, the match of the day analysis of this game was quite good. They, they showed, I think, four or five very good runs into space that, that Erling Haaland made. Um, where the direct pass sort of you know didn't come and, yeah. and the, you know the players would kind of add an extra link in between the two by the time it gets to him it's, it's too late so you, you sort of you watch that back and you think actually there were a number of opportunities for them just with that slight change or additional directness which they did increase in the second half as you said uh, I mean they could they could have scored goals in the uh, game couldn't they the if you play Holland in behind those those chances sure enough he might get a you think he'd score, and that would be how you want to play. But that's not how Guardiola wants to control the game. Mm. Because if you put if you put the balls through every single time, the defense will just drop off you a little bit, and then maybe try and deny him. But basically, what I'm trying to say is that if you get in in behind, 
it might then come back the way towards you and you'll concede in the counter-attack. So you want to control the game, get your players in the right position so you've got your rest defence there so you can easily then just have control of the pitch and stop the opposition being able to counter you. Mm. So uh, Bernardo Silva's quite guilty for it a lot. Like He'll take the ball forward. Holland, and I remember one particular run where Holland just like sprints, he's at full pace, and if the ball comes in, he's in behind. But no one else is in position to be able to deal with it if it goes wrong. So it's all about being safety, like safety first. You can push up the pitch and get in there. And then what they're trying to do is add this amazing striker to what City already do and how they've controlled games and won titles in the past. And you don't want to suddenly change to being only on the counter-attack playing him in. I mean, it's a way you can win games, mm. but you want to add that to make yourself better. And if he keeps making that run, defenders are going to get tired. Eventually, they'll just not think the ball's coming, and that's the time to switch off. And then he's clean through, and that's how you get your goal to win. But you still get control of the game. I think that's why yeah. they're doing it. Okay, fine. We should probably reference the offside, or the non-offside, because that was the contentious issue from the game. Now, normally we wouldn't talk about offsides or, or whether a penalty was a penalty, uh, but it's worth doing it in this instance because it's quite confusing and everyone seems to to agree. John, they changed the rule, and so, I mean, by the letter of the law, it's interpretable. However, I think everyone thinks that this was obviously offside. Yeah, they were mentioning on their coverage that the rule had been changed. I actually tried to find out when the rule had been changed and what the rule change was. Yeah. Um, but when you actually look at the offside rule in as the FA define it, there's a number of bullet points that de- describe when a when a player is interfering with play from an offside position uh, in an offside position. Yeah. And the the problem is is that it actually sounds as though a couple of those bullet points refer to things that look very similar to what. What, what it was that Marcus Rashford did. Now, yes. the, the explanation given by Peter Walton on the live coverage was that the rule now states that you're not interfering with play unless you touch the ball or if you stop an opponent from being able to touch the ball. Yes. Which he seemed to think was, well, obviously the, this is, this is a, a, an example of that. But again, you're in a situation now where the interpretation of that seems different depending on what... Because as we talked about it before... Everything that Marcus Rashford does changes the way that the opposition behave and therefore theoretically could impact the way that they're going to touch the ball. Um, Can I draw an analogy here for you, John? Would you mind if I use... Does it involve ice cream? No, it doesn't. (laughs) I wish it did. It involves Rocket League, my second favourite thing Mm. after ice cream. (laughs) Uh, John and I play Rocket League a lot, JJ. And um, we're very advanced at the game now. (laughs) Uh, As when we come up against the children that play the game, we crush them. Um, but uh, when you play the game for a long time, you've got muscle memory. Mm. Yeah, uh, your instincts are uh, ahead of your thinking brain. And uh, there's something that we try to do to each other very regularly called uh, faking. We fake each other. It's it's the height of achievement <laughs> in Rocket League. If you fake someone, uh, a good example would be ball is rolling sort of towards the goal. You're firmly behind it. You're rushing towards it. And there's John. <laughs> rushing to get back to try to cover the goal. He he jumps to dive in front of where he thinks you're going to hit it. But at the last second, you stop and you watch John just fly, pa- fly past and then you roll it into an open net. You know That's the kind of peak achievement you can get in Rocket League. I say this because being someone who's probably as good at Rocket League as a Premier League footballer is at, <laughs> at football, I know the impact that, that the expectation of what is going to happen can have on what you do. And knowing that, Watching what Marcus Rashford did by that ball yesterday or the day before, 
It's so clearly interference. The goalkeeper it stands where he stands because he thinks Rashford's going to shoot, right? So he potentially has the option of saving what Bruno Fernandes, Bruno Fernandes' shot if he moves. The defenders don't push towards it because Rashford is there. They're all already doing this on the, on the basis that Rashford is definitely offside and is going to touch the ball. It's inarguable that it's not interference. I mean, technically, we can have the, the conversation about interpretation. But the rule is just wrong if it allows that to be the case, right? And even Manchester United fans appear to agree that that, that it was stupid. I think, yeah, it's off say. It, I think a better Rocket League analogy would be if you put your hand into the screen and pushed it into the goal. <laughs> I would like to try that. Yeah, yeah. it's just like just, it just shouldn't count. Yeah, I think the, the problem is is that in in the laws of the game you have all of this specific wording right using the the phrase interfering with play and yeah. people then start arguing like the ins and outs of what interfering with play means but if you ask most people maybe manchester united fans aside i don't even think them they, aside yeah i think a lot of them would would agree but if you ask a lot of people how's have Manchester United benefited from having someone in an offside position there? Yeah. You have to say yes. yes. And which which raises the question of whether or not the rules are up to scrutiny. But this is this has always been Stupid. the way. The, the rules always do reveal themselves to be um, vague. And yeah. there's been no better age than the age of VAR for people to start realising actually maybe some of the rules that we have yeah. aren't really fit for purpose. No, fine. Well, I guess also it helps in a game where uh, Manchester United won anyway that they... They certainly looked up to task, at least as much as Manchester City looked like they'd uh, tooled down. I don't think there are too many people saying that the outcome of the game was super unfair, because I think, you know, you run rerun that 100 times. If the performances are the same both sides, then that, that result I don't happens. know if I'd agree with that. You don't agree with that? Well, I think viewing that game from a timeline position, so in the first half, I think Manchester Manchester United were very good at stopping Manchester City from doing what they wanted to do. Mm. Um, what they did, as JJ said, was that they kept the, the middle really compact. They marked player for player in the middle uh, and they allowed space in the wide areas for, for Manchester City to exploit. And Manchester City played with a flat back four um, so they were trying to get their fullbacks into that space. And ironically, it didn't really work because actually I think Manchester City's best attacks come when they're able to exploit that space in the middle. So what happened in the second half, as JJ said, you started seeing Man City's fullbacks inverting. And weirdly, like by making the, the centre even more congested, what actually happened was it allowed Manchester City to have more space because they started doing what you need to do in man-marking situations, which is move your players out of out of position. So what we started seeing was was the structure for Man United getting pulled apart in the middle. Kevin De Bruyne pushing out into wide areas. Um, we saw Haaland dropping in deep. So lots and lots of positional movements um, and and. Pulling, I think, especially when you when you create space in the wide areas by making your fullbacks really narrow, you can go direct to the wide players who can drop in. Mm-hmm. That pulls one of the fullbacks out of position, and because Manchester United wanted to be um, really strict at the back, you are seeing um, Casemiro dropping deeper and deeper to to cover for that. And again, that creates more space in the middle. So in the second half, Manchester City get the goal, and I think well were well worth it at that mm-hmm. point. Now, as you say, um, there was a tempo shift from Manchester United. I think with um, 20, 20 minutes to go they shifted I think Anthony came on as a nine weirdly yeah. early on and I think the idea then at was half time he replaced Martial I think probably through injury yeah yeah, and I think the idea was that they wanted to go quite intense at, this, at the Man City back line because Man Manchester City were going to uh, try and control the game from the back a little bit more um, they switched that with 20 minutes to go moving uh, Anthony out wide and that made their press a lot more dangerous I thought in the, in the forward area mm. um, but I think everything twists on that one goal because okay. up until that point it's one one nil and and um i think city do start dropping a little bit but manchester united 
I think, really get a boost from that goal counting, sure. obviously, your, your level. And then the other goal comes very soon afterwards when, when Man said to you a little There's bit. There's definitely something to that. Like, you, you're psychologically, you start, yeah. oh, that's so unfair, yeah. that's ridiculous. If, if and that then, happened to me, I would, I would lose my head on a football field. And, and it, I think, often when we're playing Rocket they, League, you do. Yeah. And they yeah. score like three All those injustices. Later. John's got this great thing, by the way, when we play <laughs> Rocket League. Sorry to talk about Rocket League again. but I, I just, really don't care about it's it. More about, it's more about talking more about John McKenzie and his psychology. You see him here, lovely guy, friendly guy, chirpy, interested, <laughs> curious, yeah? What you don't see is the bitter, dark side of John McKenzie. Like we have a little group of friends that we're friends, you know, of people we play video games with, uh, I'd say. Hey. And uh, <laughs> John's favourite thing to say... <laughs> and John is someone who doesn't know when a joke's gone too far, <laughs> is, uh, oh, ev- whenever anyone plays on my team, they play badly. I've heard this before, yes. And I do wonder, you know, who the common denominator is. But speaking of common denominators, <laughs> Brighton and Hove Albion, three. Nil Liverpool. What a superb result for Brighton. JJ, did you catch this one? Uh, I saw, well, because it was a 3pm kickoff, wasn't it? Yes. So unless I went to the pub, I know that has the illegal TV. <laughs> Uh, I couldn't watch it, but the um, no, I, I saw the highlights and I've watched yeah. twice. Scout in it, yeah. Okay. Jurgen Klopp described it as like the worst game, not just at Liverpool that he's had, but like I think he had problem with Brighton before. They've lost to them before, haven't they? And they've, I think they've been worse in previous games from what I've seen from the video that I've watched. I think They're everyone just has problems mess. with Brighton now nowadays, and yeah. nowadays with uh, Solly March as well. I mean, um, this is obviously uh, Deserby's Brighton. Johnny had a video out this morning about Deserby's uh, Brighton as well. Um, very impressive. It's currently in seventh place. Super fun. Really, really fun team. Uh, and in the video, I talk a lot about how what they're doing is they're trying to develop these artificial transitions. So usually when you, you're doing transition football, you're sitting deep, absorbing pressure, giving the opposition like plenty of the ball and then just trying to hit them on the break. Uh, that obviously comes with a bit of a risk. And so what we're seeing with Deserbi is like this hybrid system where rather than allowing the opposition to dictate the play, you hold the ball as much as you can and then try and generate these artificial transition so the same conditions that you get from sitting deep and, and hitting into space mm. um, so you, what you get is this like long protracted build up really really slow and then a really quick tempo change moving the ball into the central midfield area and then looking to get in behind and it's super fun to, to watch because of that that tempo change and you I think players particularly Karu Matoma um, on the on the left hand side they've got at the moment just really really fun transitional dribbler um, and yeah, and, and their central midfielders in Caicedo and Pascal Gross. So the ball just moving into that area, and then this really explosive, like transitional football, getting in behind and and generating chances. And they absolutely, yeah, absolutely killed Liverpool on the transition so many times. Kind as well, it's a strong Liverpool team they put out. Mm. Like in theory, it's their best midfield. Fabinho, Henderson, and Thiago. I'd say that's their strongest midfield. Um, and you'd think the weakness would come uh, on the left side defensively because it's Thiago who's not the strongest at trying to stop that sort of stuff. But you've got Robertson and Kanati, I think he's a brilliant player, Matip's a good player. And then you've got, they put, Brighton put Matoma as Japanese winger who wrote a, <laughs> he wrote dissertation, I think it was. Uh, as like a, Is it a master's or just a dissertation? I can't remember yeah, what it was. It's funny, everyone talks about him going to university and like studying dribbling. <laughs> yeah, he wrote a dissertation on how like on the effects of dribbling and what you can do to opponents. Yeah. So like how, what certain things can do to put opponents off. So he's basically written a thesis on this. Yeah. <laughs> and they put him up against... A thesis? Yeah. Wow. It was a dissertation a minute ago. I don't know the differences. Same, anyway, thing, same thing, Joe. Didn't you have a master's? Mm? You've got a master's yeah, in it. Yeah, I do. So I've written one of them, whatever it's called. What, what's the you difference the between thing? a thesis and a dissertation? No, they don't call them the same thing, though, do they? They call it a thesis when, it's, when you've done a bigger thing, like a PhD or something. And then they call it a dissertation when you've done it in a what's degree level. So there's a primary yeah. difference. 
is a, is a, a master's thesis. It's the degree programs that require these projects. Students in a master's degree will write a thesis, whereas students in a doctoral degree will do a dissertation. Oh, so the doctor, the doctor's ones, the PhD ones, is that a PhD? But my one, one was called dissertation. I had to hand it in. So uh, during your masters, yep. do you think that do you worry that that means you haven't really got one? Uh, I think, no, I didn't know well, I had a master's you until my your, friend told me later. Where did you do your master's? Aberdeen. At the same university that you did your... You're one of those people, you didn't leave home to go to university. Uh, well, I moved a, a long bus, it's like an hour bus journey. You went an hour on the bus. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it was still in the same city. Yeah. 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 And what about you? Did you leave home to go to university? I did. Where did you, how far did you go? Uh, I went a five and a half train, hour train journey away Woof. from home. Yeah, to St Andrews in Scotland. Okay. Very close to. Uh, I had a I had a band. That I thought it was doing quite well at the time. Oh, you wanted to stay in the band. Yeah. Yeah. Was your mum and dad in the band or? No, no, no. <laughs> it was friends from the local area. People from Aberdeen, I knew. Yeah, very yeah. talented people. Okay, yep. what were their names? Adam and Tom. Were they studying at the university as well? Uh, no, Adam did a series of. Law degrees that he didn't finish, but he's okay. now a very uh, successful lawyer. And but he didn't finish his law degrees? No. But and he's I, a lawyer now? Yes. Is that allowed? Yes. Wow. <laughs> you, have to, you have to work the bar, you can be other kinds of law. Where does law. he work? At what? <laughs> I'm not telling you. No. <laughs> That's Steve Hankey saying no. Listen, Steve Hankey wants us to move on to talk about Liverpool's recent record <laughs> against Brighton. I'm just going to drop this in here because we were discussing it before. Uh, but uh, the last six games that the two have played against each other, only one win from Liverpool, two wins from Brighton, and uh, a handful of draws there. Very exciting, isn't it? Now listen, uh, one other thing I'd like to say about this game, an assist for Brighton's 18-year-old Irish uh, player, Evan Ferguson, in 10 games, Evan Ferguson has four goals and four assists. That's a senior Brighton game this season. Looking forward to seeing more of him. But let's have a break now, shall we? And when we come back, we'll talk about the bum end of the league. The, the bottom, the bottom end. In the bottom. Yes. That's worse than your usual ones. <laughs> and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ah, creeping and crawling through the crevices of the Premier League now, all the way into the sweat-infested pit of doom. Now, that was too much, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, listen, there were lots of interesting games happened at the weekend. Of course, we haven't talked about Chelsea. Chelsea, uh, victory. Newcastle had a victory of a sixth place to Fulham. Uh, but other things that happened, Everton-Southampton, big bottom of the table clash there. Everton won to Southampton. We had Nottingham Forest beating Leicester as well. Wolves beating West Ham and Brentford beating 
Bournemouth. A lot happening at the bottom end of the table. And when we look at it now, we see Southampton, Everton and West Ham all on 15 points in the relegation zone. Still very eminently possible that they will escape that. But uh, John McKenzie looking at the bottom end there, having a good old look. What do you think? What, what are your feelings about who's going down? Well, we've got a bottom eight, haven't we? Yeah, well, that's absolutely right, we do. Um, Nottingham Forest on 20 points, only five points off the bottom of the table, yeah. and they're in 13th place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And actually, five points off the bottom of the table, five points off the relegation, so all the same thing right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost impossible to say anything. It is. Predictive about the bottom of the table right now. And that's now. why I'm asking you to talk about Everton specifically, because Everton feel uh, bad. And also, we should say as well that um, Everton's uh, directors and owners advised by security not to attend the game. Advised, but the police was it the police that advised them? I think so. There's lots of videos of players being hounded in their cars. I saw Anthony Gordon yeah. being chased down the street by by disgruntled fans. Right. Uh, but yeah, Everton in a mess. Right on the field, off the field, everywhere. <laughs> I like Anything. the idea of calling a human who's chasing another human angrily disgruntled. <laughs> it's a very polite way of oh, saying. Excuse it. me, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not happy with your performances for my beloved club. Yes, exactly. That's what they were saying. That's yeah, what they were saying. Sounds quite scary. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny at all. <laughs> a rare moment where I don't find something funny. Yeah, no, I, think that's, yeah. I think that's terrifying. No, no, it is terrifying. And they had like they had one of the directors and some someone headlock, had a, yeah. a, a headlock. Yes, like that's genuinely. We talked about this a few times. Like the invisible walls of safety are starting to fall down. There's a lad who kicked Ramsdale in the, the in the back of the head yeah. or in his body at the, at the Tottenham Stadium. Yeah, like, it's. It's really dangerous that you think all these things, what happens until someone really gets hurt or something like that. Like these, I think that's terrifying with these young guys because they've yeah, got so sure. much pressure and the weight responsibility. I mean, you, you can't take all the good stuff with fans. I guess you don't have the band, but then there's that thing. Like Everton fans are in such a bad way at the moment, like really unhappy with everything that's going on. It mm. looks like they're heading towards a drop. They're not confident in the management of Lampard or anything's happened with the last few transfer windows, the players they brought in, whether that's bad. Like, it, it's just really difficult to know what to do because that bottom eight, they're all roughly the same. They're all kind of the same teams. I've put Villa in there as well. Like some of them have changed managers and they'll start improving. Southampton look like they've turned a little bit of a corner, but all it takes is one defeat for them to suddenly look like they haven't turned a corner whatsoever. Mm. Um, and like that's the team they should be beating was Everton, versus, Everton at home, Southampton. You think that's a game that they have to win to try and turn it around, but when are they ever going to turn it? Mm. And that the system they play doesn't look particularly fun. He keeps moving players around. He's had lots of injury problems as well. It's it's just a bad place to be. Yeah, I um, spent a portion of my weekend on Transfermarkt. What I was looking at was the transfer expenditure for teams at the bottom of the table. What's so interesting about the Premier League now is two things. One of the things is that it's the richest league in the world. So pretty much all of these teams have spent upwards of 120 million well it was euros in the in the transfer window in the in the current season which is a lot of money it's some of those stupid. teams haven't even needed to so for example Brentford a team who are well known for just being really smart in their expenditure i think yeah. they've spent 120 million but they haven't sold anyone yeah. and in the past for them to break even they would have had to sold someone so you can improve the the level of your squad to a certain degree but the other thing is because there's so much money in the premier league no one at the bottom of the premier league wants to go down. And so rather than setting their teams up to be teams who are going to play well and maybe climb up the table, the most important thing to do is to make sure that you stay up. And that just changes the the tenor of the league as well. So you get a lot of teams just playing for draws, yeah. etc. And um, I think the, the result of that is, is that we've got a very homogenous sort of 
bottom half of the table where there's a huge amount of talent but you can actually get a long way by just being a super solid defensive team and not really giving much up it's that and they're, they're so I think they're so similarly weighted as well so that like if you put I mean like Aston Villa versus Leeds to me is quite a similar game like like some of the players are really good some of them are average but if, it, if you look at it on video game terms they'd all mostly come under like a three or a three and a half star team they're all very much kind of similar so what like a lot of Premier League games to me are really boring because it's just two teams who are quite good and all that happens is they mash into each other for about 60 minutes. Then someone makes a tiny error or as a penalty. Then or they a score massive it. error if you're legion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that, right? And then that decides a game. It doesn't really matter because you play it again, the other team would win. It's just completely... And then people's entire like careers are made out of that. So if you happen to get the luck twice in a row, that's you six points up. That could be how you get that European slot. Just that one season is that two little decisions in your way. Or... A lot of things go against you, like uh, in, in a row. And look at like West Ham are stuck in that relegation thing. They spent heaps of money. Mm. Moyes is trying to transition his uh, team to play in a certain kind of way. He's they, they bought that boy Aguero quite early, and he got injured really early, didn't he? The same way that, that Villa, Gerard bought um, Diego Carlos at Villa, really, really depending on him to make a big difference, and they got injured. So you can't mm. have that sort of thing. There's loads of little decisions that go against you when you're that evenly weighted. It's really hard to make the small differences but then yeah you put in someone like Lopetegui and already like, like Wolves look a bit better like straight away with that yeah. and like Unai Emery you can see very clear things that he's changed at Aston Villa but you get this I think I talked about this last week is that they come in and if the first couple of games go well the players will be like oh I believe in this this is this might work and you can really like get the momentum behind it whereas if Lampard comes in and goes right guys you've got to work really hard now Playing this like five four one that offers very little other than crosses into the box yeah. or like a disjointed midfield, a centre back group doesn't look that strong. They're like, oh my god, I've got to grind this out, and then you start getting like scared, the pressure, and you come out of your stadium and you're getting surrounded by fans who are going nuts, and you hear about stuff in the boardroom. That must be not fun. Yeah. So how do you possibly get happy to be able to come into it? I mean, I know I keep I always talk about football manager, and it's not actual real life, but. A lot of that game, being good at it, it's just getting the players to have good morale. That's all it is. Mm. Tactics don't matter. If you have good players and you have the morale up, that's basically how you win stuff. And I think for a long time I thought that was stupid, but now I'm starting to think that there's a lot of mm. there's a lot of psychology to that that I never really thought of. Having said that, the teams in sixth, seventh, and eighth right now in the Premier League are Fulham, Brighton, and Brentford, who mm. all have decent managers. So yeah. I, I, like it, I, I agree with you. Once it gets to high like, morale, the, though. Yeah, no, because they're winning, right? And well, no, but also I mean, those teams, those teams, you would say, all have managers who uh, instill a kind of positivity in players, and the squads really like them. And their morale is high. Well, I mean, whether you say that, but of... Roberto De Zerbi apparently has fallen out with Leandro Trossard, which is why he's, yeah. he's moving on. Like, You've I... got to pick one, though, haven't no, you? I... Pick one and sacrifice. <laughs> Back to the sacrificial pyre. I, I I agree with what you're both saying, but I do think that you know you can get a huge amount of upside if you do get a smart manager. Oh no, in. I totally agree. Yeah. Like if you put if yeah. you took Thomas Frank or De Zerbi or well Marco Silva out of Fulham. And you put them in Everton, I think they'd be better. I don't want to absolutely bury Lampard. But we're, to, we're talking about margins. We're not talking about foundations or fundamentals. Sure, but there's yeah. there's certain things that those coaches would have that I think you maybe lack in other managers. I don't know enough about uh, as we call him Luton Jones, the Southampton manager. To <laughs> know, uh, so I still, what, I still what have performance he's had by the way <laughs> since we buried him last week. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, like, wins, moving the Ward Prowse into number ten is it makes absolute sense because yeah. he's not as good deeper. It turns out, so you put him higher at the pitch. Scores goals. Go, and he just can do stuff. That He's really free kick, pressing. by the way, that he scored uh, over the weekend, 
It doesn't look impressive because of how low it is by the time it gets into the goal. But when you watch it on the replay, and you see that, no, no, he just clears the wall, the jump, and then it dips so much that it, it hits the floor Technique's before it amazing. hits the net. It's insane. Remember that video we did in IRL with, um, uh, oh, I've forgotten his name, um, Bartek. Uh, we never made it. We did. went out. Did it? Yes. Did it? <laughs> did all right, yeah. Did it go out? Yeah, what's his name? Bartek Sylvestrak. Bartek Sylvestrak. Bartek Sylvestrak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's a, he's a, um, a kicking coach. Yeah. That's what, that was his title. He was at Brentford for a long time. So he, like, he works with a lot of players um, outside of their training to develop their free kick and their general ball striking skills. Yeah. And he says that Messi's not a very good ball striker. So like, I think that doesn't sound right, but this guy, professional <laughs> ball striker, <laughs> coach, works with all these players. And uh, the player he says the best of all time at free kicks is Juninho Permambucano, mm-hmm. the Brazilian who, who is genuinely amazing. And then uh, after talking to him for a while, he's like, Ward Prowse is the only player who really has that, that technique. And what makes you good at free kicks and that ball striking is consistency of always hitting the ball in the same way and being able to put it in either location of the goal, like the top left yeah. or bottom right. Also, he's got a knuckleball on him as well, Ward Prowse. Remember early in the season? Was it this season? Yeah. I think it was like, like 35, 40 yards. Yeah. Like, this guy is unbelievably good at that sort of stuff. And if he can develop as that number 10, like pressing second striker or attacking midfielder like, that's really useful he's really a freak a dead ball freak a lot of work went into that yeah. anyway listen we've got to move on because I want to talk very briefly John about Napoli 5 1 Juventus big tie it was between 1 and 2 in Serie A uh, the, the time it took place I believe and now 1-3 uh, Milan uh, scooting ahead again of Juventus into second place Napoli uh, a statement victory to uh, continue to lead uh, Serie A uh, 47 points, nine-point gap between them and Milan in second now. Yeah, and Juventus came into this game on a bit of a hot run. So a lot of people were saying, oh, is this you know, are Juventus inevitable? Is this going to be them coming good again, putting the, the title challenge um, really front and centre in, in, in Italy? But yeah, didn't happen that way. And um, Juventus again, and we're talking about a lot of clubs who are sort of uh, have a, a messy context both on and off the field, mm. and Juventus is very much in that in that ballpark at the moment as well. Um, allegedly wanting to, you know, move managers on, but not being able to because of financial reasons, etc. So yeah, it's 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 an in- interesting situation that that Allegri sort of turned things around for them very much because they were mid-table early on in the season and they pushed right the way up. But this game very much nailing Napoli's credentials as the best team. In Serie A, um, uh. I don't think that a lot of people were doubting that um, because I think a lot of the games that Juventus have been winning recently have been sort of close one-nil wins and not necessarily the most impressive performances. But um, yeah, Napoli just came out and did what Napoli do in this game, and uh, and Juventus couldn't couldn't keep up at all. Yeah. Uh, and what Napoli are doing is uh, there's been lots of um, quotes going around from Luciano Spalletti, the 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 coach of of, of Napoli, talking about how modern football doesn't use structure anymore and uh, talking about how it's all about exploiting space in a much more fluid mm. way uh, and this is what this is what Napoli were doing really re- what I've noticed from them in the games I've watched of them recently just really really quick one touch passing moving the ball around really not letting defences settle and and playing the ball around until they can find those gaps in in um, particularly advanced areas and they've got Victor Osserman who we've talked about a lot in the context of potential uh, number nine for Manchester United on our sensible transfer video but he's just a really f- fun player to, to watch real real threat in behind it's 12 goals in 14 games yeah incredible yeah. and um, 
with I think that combination of players who are really good technical players on the ball um, and then really exciting um, aggressive direct players in players like Varets Yalia and Osserman as well uh, really making for quite quite good watching at the moment Napoli mm. may be the best team in Europe in a lot of respects to watch okay well there we go I think that's the end of the podcast you want to add anything uh, Barcelona are amazing against Real Madrid Gavi yeah. was unbelievable um, like just he's 18 I can't believe how good this guy is at 18 it's, yeah. it's crazy like I love Pedri he was also brilliant there's all these he's very Iniesta like some of the things he does with his like double touch and stuff Gavi like that. or Pedri 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 but Gavi was just running the show yeah oh they just couldn't get close to him and uh, yeah I, I don't remember watching the player <laughs> so good so young well. Pedri maybe I guess <laughs> the other midfielder was a lot yeah, but then Pedri's is a slightly different kind of player and Gavi mixings happen slightly further up so it's more exciting I just, it's fun to watch I mean they're top of the league but, uh, Barcelona as well and that's them won the Super Cup and so you'd think um, that might be a little thing to help them kick on and know they're going in the right direction I you know, heard, they have patience in Xavi it might work yeah. I heard something about over the weekend I heard that uh, VAR was abandoned in the Aberdeen game. <laughs> yeah, this was bad. So there's a couple of like big like this referee. I know people moan about the, the refereeing in Premier League. Say it's an all-time low. They've got no idea, mm. no idea. Refereeing in Scotland is um, embarrassing, and it has been for many years. Just like ludicrous decisions all the time, all the time, all the time. But uh, what you had it, like Rangers beat Aberdeen in the League Cup semi-final. It was a League Cup semi-final weekend. Uh, both games played at Hamden. Uh, Scotland's quite wet <laughs> in a, in a January, isn't it? Yeah, all the time. But yes. January especially. Yeah. First month, I believe. Jeez. The rainy season. Yeah. Celtic and Kilmarnock played on Saturday, <laughs> uh, chopped the pitch up like it was a rugby game, and there was a penalty not given to Killy, which is clearly a penalty. The, the, the defender comes straight through the back of a guy waiting for the ball and flattens him. Yeah. Fear and pick it up. Fine, maybe they just didn't see enough to overturn it. I, I think it's a surprising decision, but also I don't think it's surprising at all in Scotland. Not to do, with, I don't think there's some sort of conspiracy with the old firm either, by the way, before anyone starts thinking that. I think it's just incompetence. And then uh, in the Sunday game, it's not incompetence, but it's just embarrassing in that VAR, the, the connection just stopped, basically. The connection. So there was just no VAR for, the, the, right. I think, extra time, which is unfortunate. It's only after uh, the hundredth minute. They had a hundred minutes of VAR. What, what more do they want? Yeah, yeah. that's true. No, there was a. There so was, they use it three minutes. You can have too much of a good thing, you know. Like that's what I always yeah. say. Yeah. And then, like, there's a, an incident that I'd like to see more. But uh, Ryan Counter Rangers player appears to uh, just lash out a little bit. Uh, um, Aberdeen's Liam Scales and you think in VAR Liam Scales 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 you think that that might have uh, possibly been a red card which would have levelled the things because the Aberdeen yeah. captain had got himself sent off for trying to put uh, Fashion Zakala out of the stadium with a tackle right did yeah. you know uh, One day. Rangers haven't had a penalty in something like 39 games or something really? Really? <laughs> just, yeah. just putting that one out conspiracy yeah. Conspiracy. It's there is no conspiracy. conspiracy. It's just know. that certain referees are not very good in Scotland. Like yeah. I go harsh on it just to make myself sort of laugh at it because mm. it's ridiculous. Well, it's you... also pointless supporting a Scottish club apart from Rangers. It's just pointless. Absolutely pointless. No, there's no point. If we'd beaten Rangers and got through to the final, we'd have to beat Celtic and we wouldn't do that. Yeah. You need to have everything go your way. Okay, well, that is, there we go. That's the end of the podcast there. End of a choppy podcast. Uh, thank you, JJ Ball the Bullet. Yes. And thank you to Jonathan Dog McKenzie. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to Steve Hankey and uh, Craig Silcock, producers for today. We'll be back next week. There's a little wave. You can see them in the background there. You see them? Yeah. John, get your head out of the way. Oh, God. Anyway, that's fine. Uh, listen, we'll be back next week with uh, Seb Stafford Blore rejoining oh. us from his uh, travels. We'll get to hear 
about which bit of Germany he visited uh, while he was on holiday. That's nice. And uh, until then, take care, all the best, and uh, bienvenue. Hey? Hey? Good night. Okay. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs>